to this scripture as it's recorded in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 46 through 52. The disciples and all the people following Jesus came to Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bar Timaeus, a son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many sternly ordered him to be quiet. But he cried out even more loudly, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus, he stood still. And he said, call him here. And they called the blind man and say, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, My teacher, Rabbi, Rabuni, let me see again. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a day that we look back on the history of our church, and we can say, over the course of Christian history, ever since Jesus gave us the power of the Holy Spirit to create this church 2,000 years ago, we can honestly say we have come a long way. But we can also look around us and look at the world around us and recognize that we have a long, long way to go. Have you ever experienced real trouble in your life? Have you ever found that you were wondering if you were on the right path in life? Or have you ever wondered, well, you've known you're on the wrong path and you've wondered if you could get back on the right path again. My team that I work with for contemporary worship hears me say this over and over and over again and they're probably, now they like hearing me say it. I think they want to hear me say it again and again constantly. But it's this, it's not about, it's not about whether we'll get there. It's about how we get there. And what I mean by this is that we are all agreed on the destination we're going to, on the place we're headed. And we're all determined people who have a lot of passion and a lot of understanding and a lot of knowledge. So the question isn't whether we are going to be able to accomplish the goals that we set in front of us, because with our hearts and our minds working together, we can probably accomplish pretty much anything. The question is, how do we arrive at that destination? How are our relationships along the way? How are the conversations going that we have with one another and with the world around us? Wouldn't it be sad if we got to the destination that God set before us and we felt very excited that we arrived there after all of the struggles that we'd been through and Jesus Christ turns to us and says, how was the journey? 
How'd you like the journey? Because that's what it was all about. And then we looked back on the course of our lives and we realized that we were so destination-focused, we were so destination-bound that we missed the entire point. Jesus and his followers are given to us in a snapshot today. It's just a beautiful picture that we have of them leaving Jericho and traveling toward Jerusalem. They're leaving this city, Jericho, which is a couple hundred feet below sea level and and going to a city that's 2,700 feet above sea level. So there's some serious elevation change going on. And if you know anything, 3,000 foot elevation change does not mean just 3,000 feet. It means up and down and up and down and then finally arriving at that 3,000 foot elevation. Not just that though, it's a 23 mile walk, a 23 mile journey. And Jesus had indicated to his disciples and to his followers that this was an important journey, that this would be the big entry into Jerusalem. This was the big moment everybody was looking for. And when I say they were looking for it for a long time, 500 years is a good guess. 500 years. That sounds a lot like the time that has elapsed since Martin Luther first nailed the 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg. 500 years. That's a long time. But it just goes to show that sometimes God puts a vision on the hearts of the people 500 years before parts of that vision come into fruition. I wonder as Martin Luther was striking his nail, hammer against the nail of the church door, if he had any idea. History tells us that he didn't have an idea. In fact, the church door was just a bulletin board. It was a way to communicate with the world. People would put all kinds of stuff on the church door. So if you think it's a big deal to nail stuff to the church door, it really wasn't. It was kind of like putting stuff on Facebook. It was kind of like proclaiming to the world, hey, I got this thing. And it was even nerdier than that. Martin Luther was just saying, I've got 95 theses. If you think that sounds boring, it is boring. It's a university professor monk who wrote down 95 bullet points on how he thought that the church could be fulfilling what the church was designed to fulfill. So he goes and puts it on the church door. Maybe, yes, I think that he did that, but what we know for certain he did is that he actually sent that letter to five of his superiors. And they didn't take kindly to it. They were not embracing his little voice from the corner. Who is this annoying voice that we have from Germany? From Wittenberg? They probably never even heard of Wittenberg in Rome when they were told that there's a monk in Wittenberg, Germany, who's a university professor, who has said these words that are causing a lot of trouble. They're messing things up. I remember as a kid, we would go on these backpack trips with my dad. My dad's a pastor, like I am. I never thought I would be, honestly. But my dad's a pastor. And he would, I think that he needed sermon illustrations. That's why he would do these extreme vacations with us. And I just realized that today, sooner or later, you run out of analogies. So like stories about your kids dangling over cliffs and and, and losing them in the woods, those kind of like capture people's attention. I don't know why. But he'd always come back with great stories. And the trips were amazing. 14 days backpacking through the Sierras or through the White Cloud Mountains or Seven Devils in Idaho or whatever it was that, that day. And, and the trip was usually, out of those 14 days, 10 days of those would be actual backpacking. And then we would reserve four of the days for whatever we thought were the best campsites. 
the most beautiful spots that we'd arrive at. And I remember, well, on those 10 days, those, those journeys were like 6 miles to 12 miles, or 8 miles to 12 miles. So a full trip was about 100 miles long. So it was a lot of backpacking, and by about halfway through, you were ready to take a break. And you were really excited to have arrived at a beautiful lake that was all yours. No one else was there, perfect campsite, stocked with fish. You could hang your hammock between the trees. There's no bugs. Reading the books, I mean, it was unbelievable. Starlight at night, campfire, it was like nothing you could have ever imagined. Everything is proclaiming, God is good, God loves you, God is the best, God is amazing. Look at what I've, look at God has created for you. But then there's this moment when you realize you can't stay there forever. And then we would pack up our stuff from this beautiful lake and we'd put it on our backs. And I remember as a kid, I had a 40-pound pack about that. And I, I remember vividly standing at the foot of a great big mile-high climb out of the valley that we were in in order to continue with our journey. I remember standing there with this huge, heavy backpack and thinking, I will never go backpacking again. No, that's not what I thought. What I thought was, okay, let's go. I think that's where we are as a community. I think that's where we are as a church and as a people, and and that's where I am personally. I don't want to be projecting a lot of stuff on you guys, but I'm feeling it. I'm feeling that we have been sitting lakeside at some of the most beautiful places that God has ever created on the face of the earth admiring the miracles that God has done in and through us and around us. We've been soaking it all in, and it's been amazing. But now, it's time for us as a community to pack up and to get ready because we can't just live our lives based on the accomplished journeys of the past. The journey's not complete yet. We have mountains of possibilities in front of us, unknown journeys ahead of us and challenges. And that, is what lays in front of us. In the year 1516, I love that next year is the 500-year anniversary of Martin Luther nailing the 95 theses to the church door. In that year, Martin Luther had been struggling in his faith. In fact, Martin Luther was not just a university professor and a monk, he was a failure in his father's eyes. I just find that interesting. It's not hugely important. Maybe it is to you. His father had sent him to the best universities and actually had gotten him into an incredible law school. So this guy was set to be a real leader, someone who was going to really lead the world and be an important figure and probably wealthy or whatever it is. And then Martin Luther turns to his dad and says, well, I'm going to be a monk and I'm going to go into isolation and I am going to apply all of my learning and all of my knowledge to studying the Bible and I am going to take a vow of chastity so you'll never have grandkids. And I also, you know, just the news got worse and worse. So Martin Luther goes into this, this, this life of poverty where his voice is really not going to mean anything in his father's eyes. And he starts struggling with his faith, and he starts, he learns as much as he can. Now, Martin Luther was a very intelligent person, very, very intelligent, and he had learned a lot in his law school, and he learned a lot in his university education. In fact, his idea was to take all of the knowledge of the Enlightenment, all of the knowledge that he was accruing through 
through kind of a rhetorical debating style and apply it to his study of the Bible. Makes sense, right? That's why he puts 95 theses on the door. He's a super debate nerd. This guy, is, he's, out, he's out to change the world through debates. Not very convincing. But as he's, as he's grappling with his faith, he discovers that his faith, as he's learned it from his community, from his church, and from his contemporaries, is all about trying to earn his way into God's favor. And even though it was never intended to be so, indulgences had become some kind of distorted practice where people would somehow earn God's love. And then Martin Luther teaches three books of the Bible, and two of which are Romans and Ephesians, and he teaches them to his students at the university. And he gets so deep into the Word, and he studies it so intimately that he discovers that he never really understood God's love before then. And he has this radical transformation in his life where he starts to share with everyone God's grace, that you don't need to earn your way into God's favor, that all of the sacrifice has already been done for us on the cross, that Jesus Christ covers all of that, and that no matter how sinful you are, God loves you and loves you unconditionally. I love in this verse today, if you look at the scripture, what is, it that it, what is it in the scripture? We've got some pastors back here. They can answer this. You don't need to be a pastor to answer this. What does it say at the end of the scripture that's, that Jesus says makes him well? His faith. Jesus says, your faith has made you well. But we have a shift because there were a lot of people who thought that it was their faith and their faith that made them well. But it's actually their faith in the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus' power of grace. Jesus' power of love. Jesus' power of redemption. That's what makes us well in our souls. And so as we set out on this journey together, it's important for us to look back on the Reformation and to remember that the Reformation... See, Martin Luther said, if my transformation took place as a result of my turning to Scripture, the way that other people are going to be discovering all of God's joy and beauty and grace and goodness in the world is by their turning to Scripture too. In the year 400, too much history? Raise your hand if you just don't like history. Okay, thank you for not raising your hand. In the year 400, they made it mandatory that the Scriptures be only in Latin and Greek because they didn't want things getting messed up. Flash forward a thousand years to when Martin Luther was writing his 95 theses. A hundred years before he wrote those theses, they made it illegal for anyone to own a Bible who was not a priest because they didn't want things to get messed up. They had good intentions, but they just didn't want things to get messed up. Then Martin Luther discovers if people are ever going to learn the kind of grace that I learned. They're going to have to go to the scriptures and they're going to have to be able to read them. And so he translates. He's going to trial because the church has decided that he's going to be excommunicated and they're about about to sentence him to death because he uses these words. They say, hey, could you please apologize, Martin Luther? And Martin Luther says, nope. Here I stand. I know none other other than to speak the truth of what I know. He wouldn't refuse his faith. So his friends kidnap him as a favor so he doesn't get killed. 
They kidnap him, his friends do, and put him into a castle. And in the castle, he translates the Greek text into German, essentially creating the German language. If you can't tell, I'm totally geeked out on Martin Luther this week. I think his story is incredible. Flash forward 50 years, you have Scotland. A guy named George Wishart teaching John Knox. And George Wishart is a school teacher who decides that he needs to teach people how to read. It's great to have the, language, the Bible in their language, but if they can't read it, they can't do anything about it. Scotland becomes one of the most literate communities on the face of the earth 500 years ago. See, they were so worried that if people learned how to read, they might mess things up. Revolutions would happen. They'd be able to read pamphlets talking about, talking about city meetings and, and, and meetings on the side that, that, that would protest what was going on in the communities. See, the history of our church, the new history that we embrace, is one of rejoicing in all of the voices at the table, celebrating the protests that come from the sidelines that we think are messing things up, but actually end up pointing us more deeply and more intimately to the love and grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to understand the Reformation, then you have to understand that what Martin Luther was really nailing to the door of the church in Wittenberg was Scripture. He was nailing the Word of God to people's hearts. See, Martin Luther knew that if people were going to have the transformation and understanding the grace and love of Jesus Christ, that they would need to have this Scripture posted in a way that they could read it, they could understand it. They would have the scripture nailed to the doors of their households. That it would be a fulfillment of what had been written about in scripture for thousands and thousands of years. Write my words upon your doors and your walls. They didn't have paper back in those days, so oftentimes you would find the word of God written on the walls of the house because that's the canvas of their lives. If we are to embrace the spirit of the Reformation today and, and to learn anything from the past as we head up that mountain that's in front of us, then we too are going to be committed to studying Scripture and allowing Scripture to speak to our lives and not just, not just beating ourselves up for not reading enough Scripture because that would probably be the whole, missing the whole point again, but really listening to Jesus' words in Scripture Watching what Jesus does in Scripture. Watch how Jesus stops in the midst of the crowd heading toward Jerusalem. And he pays attention to the voice on the sidelines, the blind beggar who's crying out for mercy. We will study these interactions that Jesus has with his disciples and those around him, and as a result, it will shape us. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will find ourselves renewed and restored and reformed. The way forward for us is to go back to the source, to go back to the start, and to allow God himself to speak into our lives as he did for a very confused and very hurting Martin Luther 500 years ago. And what I like most about Martin Luther is he wasn't afraid to share his struggles with the world around him. 
you know, on this journey, we are going to have painful moments and difficult times. And we're going to have big questions that we're not necessarily even able to answer, but that we're going to need the community to help us with. And we need to have the kind of church doors. We need to have the kind of Facebook pages. We need to have the kind of real connections with the world around us that allow us to grapple with those questions so that we can be a community on the journey, living out God's Word in a way that when we get to the destination, God will turn to us and say, wasn't that journey amazing? And we'll say, thank you, Jesus. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for the way in which you open our eyes. We pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to shape us and reform us and invigorate our ministries and our occupations and our minds and our hearts and our souls. We pray, God, that you would guide us through your holy word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.